Amen. Mothers are on our minds, aren't they? And I don't know about you, but I've often felt like my mother had superpowers. Uh, have you known mothers like that? Maybe you're one who has those superpowers. Uh, they can find things. They notice things. Their eyes are in the back of their head. They can find the hidden homework. They detect the toy in your backpack that you were supposed to leave at home. They can discover under the napkin the vegetables that you want to hide from them, right? Uh, they can spot a fever at 20 paces, and they can hear uh, joy and feel joy from how a child is expressing it, and they know when you're hangry. They know, and they can feed you till you're full and overflowing. I think moms have superpowers. They can hear in the tone of your voice that your heart is broken. And they seem to remember all the things their children forget. I've encountered so many amazing mothers. Some of them have actually given birth to a child. All of them are incredibly generous. I had six mothers growing up. The one who carried me and five sisters who helped raise me. I should probably add in my teachers. Maybe you would too. Those ones who leaned close into your life and really helped you discover some things. Boy, I owe Mrs. Wilson a lot for teaching me Spanish. And Mrs. Davis, who kept urging me to grow in my essay writing in English. I'm thankful for so many friends who have mothered me, who had that sort of way about them that brought the best out in me or kept me out of trouble. And many, many church moms have truly been patient with me over these many years, and for them I'm deeply thankful. Ones like Judy Benson, who I will never ever forget, and Ina Claire Weekly, who when I visited her, leaned into my life, prayed over me, loved on me in a mighty way like mothers often do. You see, some people notice us. Love is their MO, their modus operandi, and they open their arms to every opportunity to love God's children. That's just who they are. That's just how they roll. And you know what? Small children are like that too. Bennett and his family came to visit me in my office. Bennett's little brother is going to be baptized. We were having a conversation about baptism. We spent a lot of time talking about the love of Jesus Christ. Bennett is not quite three, so he was busy in my office investigating and exploring everything. But I want you to know something. He did not miss what the conversation was about because I want to tell you, he would periodically stop, come run over, and give me a big hug. He gave me three hugs that morning. It was a beautiful experience. I opened my arms to the blessing that a little child was willing to give me. As we dive into the book of Ruth, I hope we will open our arms wide to this story of God's children who are learning how to love one another and learning how to help one another. I'm sure many of you know the story of Ruth well, but it may be unfamiliar to some of you. The story centers around Ruth, who is a young widow from a place called Moab. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, is also a widow. And she's from Israel. They've suffered unspeakable loss. 
Naomi's two sons, one of which was Ruth's husband, have died. Naomi's own husband has died. It's a desperate time. So Naomi decides that she's going to head back home to Bethlehem, where she's from. Now, just for perspective, Bethlehem's about the same distance uh, from Moab as Stone Mountain is from Athens. So if we got and we walked all the way to Stone Mountain, that's about how far Moab was from Bethlehem. There aren't any miracles or visions or dreams in this story about Ruth and Naomi. It's just people trying to do the best they can in really rough circumstances. But if you look close enough, you'll see God working behind the scenes to change their lives for the better. It's a desperate time. There's a famine in the land. So these women have nothing. So when Naomi makes this decision to leave for Israel, it's really surprising that Ruth wants to go with her. Ruth insists on going with Naomi. These two women aren't related. Let me remind you, Ruth, daughter-in-law, Naomi, mother-in-law. So it surprises us that Ruth decides she's going to go all in with her mother-in-law. No resources, no income, no prospects, no one to help them except God. Maybe they should have made a pros and cons list. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of said, here's when it's going to be a good idea, here's where it's going to be a bad idea? Maybe if Ruth and Naomi had laid out how they were going to go at it, the pros list would be, you know, stay in Moab. We've got friends, we've got family, we've got connections. Especially for Ruth, because the prospects might have been good for her to remarry. It might have been a good idea to stay where there were some people they knew and who would surround them. And the con list looked a lot longer, perhaps, than the pros. But yet they decide this is what they're going to do. I want you to know that Ruth demonstrates something to Naomi that is critical to healing and the restoration of hope. She gives her attention. By her words, her commitment, her attention, she says to Naomi, you matter. You matter. Simone Well wrote that attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. What's it worth to really notice each other? Go all in with each other. It was worth a great deal to Naomi and also to Ruth. In chapter 2, we see how they're doing. We'll get a moment to check in. How's it going? You who left Moab and are now in Israel, this small blended family, they're starving. So Ruth goes out to look for food and is able to find a field where she can glean. She can catch what's been dropped. It's a little like if someone were carrying a basket of apples and you were behind them and one of the apples fell out and you picked it up. That's what Ruth is going to go do. So hear the word of God this morning as we encounter Ruth chapter 2 verses 17 through 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. 
and she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Otherwise, you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, we don't always notice the things that you want us to notice. And we don't always hear what you want to tell us. Grant that we will pay attention and diligently look for you and learn. Be patient with us, faithful God. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The verses I read a moment ago show how what began as a very sad story starts to take a hopeful direction. Things are happening here that are hopeful. Boaz notices Ruth. He notices her. And then he doesn't just notice her, because we notice things all the time, don't we? We'll walk by and we'll see something. Boaz gets engaged in helping. He dives in. He gets involved. He makes sure that Ruth will be safe. He gives her clear access to the harvest. And when she goes home and tells Naomi all about it, of all the fields, of all the fields that Ruth would end up gleaning in, it's the field of a man related to Naomi. And so the door of possibility cracks open. And there's a little light coming in. Monica was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. She was a gentle, patient, loving woman. She was married to Patricius, who was a poor excuse of a husband. And she raised the children. She loved the children. Her son, Augustine, was as bad a son as there ever could be. She watched him make mistake after mistake, feeling powerless to help him. That's hard on a mother. So what Monica did was this. She wept every night and prayed every night for him for years her deep faith and passionate prayers for her son. I would love to tell you it suddenly made an impression on Augustine. But you know who it made an impression on? Patricius. He gave his heart to Christ. I find that stunning and remarkable. Still she wept and she prayed for Augustine. 
It all looked hopeless. You see, from an earthly perspective, Monica's tears seem wasted on a deaf son. I'm not sure we always take time to notice what God wants us to notice. You see, God notices everyone. God is concerned about everyone. All of them matter. God was leaning into Monica's life as she wept and prayed. And that time with the Lord changed her. Developed perseverance in her and patience in her. God was with Patricius as he watched and observed his wife with her passionate prayers. He saw his wife never give up. He heard his wife's faith, and it spoke to his heart, so much so that his own heart changed. He went from watching to believing. God was with Augustine, who tried everything and used everyone around him. Until one day, one day he began to listen to God's voice. God was calling into his life, come to me. I'll give you what you need. I see you. I notice you. I understand where you're broken and where you're hurting, and I can help you. It was Augustine's turn to weep. It was Augustine's turn to open his arms and receive the blessing. Henry Nouwen was a priest, a wonderful theologian, and he often spoke about becoming the beloved. He wanted Christians to embrace and understand who they are, that they were becoming the beloved. There's still so many things I'm learning. I'm confident there's still things that you're learning too. So we're, we're still discovering how to be God's beloved children in full. Our true identity is in Christ. Henry Nouwen suggested that we imagine Jesus. Let Jesus enter fully into our consciousness so that his presence could be felt in the inner room of our hearts. He said by gazing at Jesus, we give him loving attention. And we see with our minds and our hearts how he is the way to the Father. Jesus' life and work is an uninterrupted union with and contemplation of his Father. We, as followers of Jesus, are trying to enter into that disposition, trying to orient ourselves to the world in that way. When I read the book of Ruth, I read it with a New Testament perspective. I'm a follower of Christ. That's who I am. So when I read the Old Testament, I bring Jesus with me into that moment. I know that I'm reading about Ruth and Naomi, who were believers in God. They did not know Jesus Christ. But you know what I do? I spend my time looking for Jesus. Have you ever done that when you open the Bible and you lean in looking for Jesus, even as you look into the Old Testament? Where do you see Jesus in the story of Ruth? I like to look. I like to notice. I like to discover that. Most commentators have pointed out that later on in the story, spoiler alert, Boaz acts as a redeemer. He is reminded 
that he has the power to rescue Naomi and Ruth, and he seizes the possibility. He goes beyond noticing them and claims them and brings them into his household. And you see, it does give us a preview of our Savior, our Redeemer, who with his own life paid for our mistakes and with his grace gives us a new life and takes us into his eternal home. And I found a moment in chapter 2 where I see Jesus. Turn in your bulletin. Because Naomi says something surprising. She tells Ruth that Boaz is one of our kinsmen. It's subtle, but clear that Ruth has officially become family for Naomi. That moment is like an adoption. Ruth went from daughter-in-law to an actual daughter as far as Naomi was concerned. It's just one word. Three little letters, and the word is our. He's one of our kinsmen. Changed the whole relationship that Naomi and Ruth had. Think how a house is different when we say our house. What does it mean when we say our church, our community, our family, our problems, our blessings. Things take on a whole new life when we say it's ours. God is a personal God. I don't want to leave that out because each of us needs to know that. God gets personal with each and every heart, which is something startling. It's very astonishing when you think about all the people in this room, all the people outside, all the people watching online. God is a personal God dealing with us on a personal level, hoping to stir in our hearts newness, coaxing us to understand that we're beloved and to grow in that knowledge. God does that for you and for me. So the inward life is crucial, mine and yours. But it doesn't stay on an inward track. God is always going to lead us outward. Others are starving for good news. And they long to be adopted. Sometimes we don't want to go where God is pressing us to go, and we lock the door of possibility. There are things that we think about ourselves and each other that cause us, I think, to miss our moment. We have a lot of judgment going on in our heads. Things we think about ourselves and about each other. I know sometimes when I look in a mirror, I'm going, that hair's a mess. That's a surface kind of judgment. But then there are deeper things. Sometimes in our own lives we go, what a stupid decision. And sometimes we think that about each other. We've got a lot of judgment going on in our heads. We often measure one another on impossible scales. Sadly, we think that our identity is what we do or what other people say about us or what we have. That's not where our identity comes from. God made us. God made us and shapes us, and calls us by name. We are his beloved children. 
You see, at some point, Ruth realized she belonged to Naomi and to Naomi's God. That's a discovery she made, and it made her step forward in faith and move outward into unfamiliar territory. It took Naomi a bit longer to open her eyes, to really notice Ruth. But with one little word, our, she does it. Naomi opens her arms to embrace the relationship that God had put right in front of her to have. We don't want to miss the chance to be that kind of blessing, to have that kind of blessing. Jesus taught the disciples to say, Our Father. Jesus himself prayed that we would all be one. The mission is for us to make disciples, and the command is for us to love one another. It's ours. And while we engage with this mighty work, God changes our hearts and our lives. Everyone in the story of Ruth experiences redemption, and they change simply because they noticed what others might not notice. I sense God shines a light helping them notice what matters. Years ago, Jill Bateman, who's a member of this church, had a great idea. She had seen it happening at another church. She said they had these bags, Martha, with logo of the church on it. She said they fill the bag with something lovely like cookies. And they go into their neighborhood and welcome someone who's new to the neighborhood. They love on them, invite them to church, embrace them in a way that's so sweet and dear and kind. I thought it was great. So we had some bags ordered. And over the years, we've been giving them away to families when their baby's about to be baptized. There are gifts that fill the bag from our children's ministry. To those who are sorrowful, we fill them with prayer shawls. To those who need some materials from the church, we'll put books in there that they might be needing. Those bags have gone a long way away from this address. But today I'd like to offer you one of those bags. I want to put one in your hand. They'll be in the narthex. You're welcome to take one and go notice somebody. Go look for someone God hopes you'll see. Claim them and welcome them. Get to know them and invite them. Show someone that they matter. Show someone they matter. You're not what you do or what people say about you or what you have. We are the beloved children of God. That's our identity. We're the ones that God takes with his hands and blesses. And we're broken and given so that others come to know that they belong to God too. When Jesus moves into your life, change is inevitable. He doesn't just notice. He transforms us from oblivious to observant to engaged. We learn to see as he sees. We learn to love as he loves. We begin an incredible journey. A mother heard her baby crying. It's hard on a mother when they hear the baby crying. She bit her lip. And her husband said, don't get up. We're told she's got to get used to being in the crib. So mama didn't. 
And they laid down to go to sleep. Well, the next morning when the husband awakened, his wife wasn't beside him. He shook his head and knew she'd gone to check on the baby. So he went up. And there he saw a surprising sight. There was Mama. There was the baby in the crib together. <laughs> it's a story that always makes me smile, and it reminds me of God's great love for us. God heard our cries, and He came from heaven to earth to save us. God is with us. We are His beloved children, redeemed by His grace, sustained by His love, and this is our family. Ours. My mother is 91. Amazing. But her memory is slipping. That's hard. But there's beauty in this time. It's prompted her to reach out to her children and her grandchildren, calling us on the phone, and I love to hear her voice. And all of us are surrounding her in the way she surrounded us as we were growing up. We're trying to remember for her what she has forgotten. She is a beloved child of God, and I don't mind asking you to pray. She will always remember that. She is ours, you know. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.